Good evening, and thanks so much for being here. It's good to see everybody. The scripture reading for the lesson is uh, one verse from the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read the one that's found in verse 8, Matthew 5 and verse 8. Sort of the New Testament expression of the passage that we're going to look at from the Old Testament. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And God bless the reading of his word tonight. This morning we looked at Hebrews 12, the end of the chapter, and the exhortation that the writer of Hebrews closes the book with. And he charges them to uh, lift up drooping hands and to straighten weak knees and uh, to move forward. And uh, he gives them some encouragement about why they should do that. And as I was preparing the lesson and thinking about uh, what the writer of Hebrews was saying, I kept thinking that there was an Old Testament character whose life, or at least a moment in his life, uh, was very, very much an illustration of what we find in Hebrews 12. And so I finally decided, well, that would make a good sermon as a follow-up for uh, the lesson tonight, and that's that's what we're going to look at. I want to tell you a story of something that happened uh, last fall. Um, just a couple of weeks uh, before the Army-Navy game, some of our plebes were out in the foyer talking together, and they were talking about the game, and they were really excited about it. They were excited that they were going to get to go for the first time as uh, as midshipmen and uh, be there for the game. And, of course, all through the game, all through the conversation, they were, were very confident that, that Navy was going to win. Well, during a pause in their conversation, I said to one of them, you know, winning streaks are kind of designed to be broken. You know, you may not want to hear this, but the day is going to come when, when Army's going to break that streak, and uh, and they're going to win. And uh, what, he looked at me with a frown that would have sunk a battleship, that would have made an admiral proud. And looking me straight in the eye, he says, not on my watch. You learn early at the academy, don't you? Well, I didn't press the point. I didn't want to be a killjoy and take away the, the pleasure they were having. But as I walked away, I thought, I'm right. The day is going to come when, at long last, Army is going to win one of these games. And when they do, they're going to be Navy people jumping off of that chapel dome. Because the idea that they lost a game to Army is just unthinkable. Uh, when you talk to those plebes, or whether it's a first or, or whatever, there is a world view. There is an understanding of how the world works that says Navy beats Army. And uh, when that changes, why... It's, it's going to be kind of rough. And uh, I know that happens because in Ann Arbor, Michigan, when the University of Michigan loses a game, uh, the police have to be out and watch the streets because students jump off the university buildings. It's, it's kind of sad. And I'm just kidding. Personal things happen in our lives that change the way we look at life. They change our expectations. They change our assumptions about the world, about life, how things are supposed to go. They change the way 
we think the world works. And sometimes even our faith is challenged by the changes that come to our world. Changes that clash with our convictions, that conflict with our philosophy of life, our view of the world, and and yes, even our faith. Things can happen to us that we never saw coming. Things can happen to us that turn our world upside down and leave us confused. We've lost our moorings. We're uncertain. And we may find ourselves saying to ourselves, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. Something happened to the way we see the world, the way we see life. And tragically, some of our brethren, when that happens, lose their faith. And some find their relationship with God shaken to the core. And literally, they don't know what to do. Well, Psalm 73 tells us about one of God's faithful people who experienced having their world turned upside down. Something was happening around him that challenged his faith in a most fundamental way. Something that caused him to question what he believed about God. And we can learn from his experience either because we have had similar experiences or similar questions ourselves or because what turns his world upside down sometimes turns our world upside down as well. But either way, I think our faith can be strengthened and encouraged if we open our hearts and minds to the wisdom that's found in Psalm 73. As we begin the psalm, the Israelite declares his faith. Look at verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now when we read this opening verse, we should read the word surely, or the word truly, depending on your your translation, as if it had a question mark after it. The Israelite of the psalm believes this statement about God is true. More than that, he wants us to believe that it is true. But his confidence is shaken because he sees some things happening around him that do not exactly fit with this belief. And the shadow of doubt has touched his heart. He believes and has lived by the conviction that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God bestows his blessings on his people When they are free of hidden sins, when they are faithful in their devotion to God's law, God blesses those who are single-minded in their loyalty to God, as one writer expressed it. In other words, God always blesses the heart that belongs to him. And our Israelite believes that. And he trusts that that is true, so much so that he's built his life on that belief. He is confident that he has been pure in heart. He's confident that he has been good and pure in heart. And he is confident that he has received blessings from God as a result. When we stand back from the passage for just a moment, we know that he's right. He's not bragging. There's no boasting here. There's no spiritual arrogance on his part. And we know he's right about how he sees things because of the beatitude that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But what has happened 
to make this faithful, godly Israelite question himself and question what he has always believed. What has happened to shake his world? Well, our Israelite confesses to an inner struggle. Look at verse 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. At this point, as he sees himself, he believes that he's been standing on solid rock, but he knows now that he's standing on loose, shifting gravel. At least that is how he sees himself and his situation. As he looks at things, he does not have a firm place to stand. He is losing his footing. His feet have started to slip out from under him as if he were walking on an icy path. What has happened around him is that he is, or what has happened to him is that he has lost confidence. His faith has slipped and he's not so sure where he stands with God. And what has happened is that the faith he held in his heart has been replaced with other emotions, with other ideas, been replaced with envy, been replaced with jealousy. He's observed how the arrogant live, those who think they are exempt from God's law. He has seen, he says, the prosperity of the wicked. Now, his Bible says Israelites with pure hearts receive God's blessings. And I would just imagine that in his Bible there is a folded, yellowed Sunday school handout that says God is good to Israelites with pure hearts. So as he looks around and he sees what's going on, he's asking himself, how in this world, how in my world can the wicked prosper? If that statement is true about God blessing the pure in heart, how can it be that the wicked are blessed? How is it that God has been good to them? And why is that? And it's almost as if he's asking, what's gone wrong with the world? Did somebody turn off the gravity? Did somebody forget to turn on the sun this morning? It's that significant a concern for him. I don't think our Israelites' concern is so strange because I think sometimes we wonder those same things. Why do wicked people have good things happen in their lives? And why do godly people, why do good people, why do Christian people suffer? One of evil's greatest triumphs happens when it can make God's people envious or jealous of the wicked. Have you ever found yourself envious of their fancy car? Their mansion on the hill? their apparent wealth and ease. Well, our Israelite tells us what the wicked are like. Look at verses 4 through 12. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. 
may increase in wealth. Life is a breeze if you're one of the wicked. Their blood pressure never goes above 120 over 80. Their cholesterol is always below 200. They can run up and down stairs all day and never run out of breath. They never give thought to fixing things like roofs or water heaters or washing machines or cars. That just never rises to their attention. And paying a doctor bill is is never a matter of concern, much less panic. Their kids go to the best schools. Their kids have the latest electronics and wear the latest styles of clothing. They never worry about dry skin or the heartbreak of psoriasis, and they have 99% fewer cavities. Life is cake and ice cream with no calories, no fat, or no no carbohydrates. And it's not hard to recognize those people. The writer says they clothe themselves in pride and violence. New York City crime boss John Gotti was known as the Dapper Dan, the Dapper Don, because of the expensive tailored clothing he liked to wear. He would wear it in public and be so proud of who he was and what he had done. There is no end to the iniquity, the writer says that comes from their cold, lifeless hearts. Their evil is boundless. It's without limit. They're proud, and they believe they can carry out their threats with impunity. Verse 9, they blaspheme God, and they speak maliciously about people. Do you ever see people like that? Are you ever around somebody like that? Are their names or faces ever in our news? Do they stand in the shadows and pull the strings in government offices and company boardrooms? Yes, we all know that that happens. And all of that is bad enough, but what amazes our Israelite is the way people are drawn to the wicked. People love to see them, want to be near them. They drink in what the wicked pour out. And if you think that's just an exaggeration, well, Explain why the trials of Casey Anthony and Amanda Knox and George Zimmerman got such high TV ratings. Why did people turn in except their fascination with what these people had done and and what was happening in their trial? And now the Knox case is is being appealed and, and people are anxious to know what will happen next. Some of our favorite television programs are crime shows. I'm, I'm a believer in Gibbs and Dinozo and all of them. And while no doubt we want the good guys to solve the case, don't we also sometimes wonder if the bad guy isn't going to get away with it maybe this time? And when the police pull over someone, do we slow down and watch? Do we rubberneck to see if they've arrested somebody? What happened? Yes, I think we do those things. The death of the wicked's arrogance is that they don't believe that God knows. How could you get more arrogant than that? To think that you could do things, that you could be wicked, and that God in heaven would not know what you were doing. But that's what they believe, and if he knows, he doesn't care. That He doesn't care. If he knows, so what? They thumb their noses at God, they shake their fist in his face. 
Like people in our time, the wicked believe that it is chic to do that and nothing disturbs their ease. Their wealth increases and increases. Every day it appears that their blessings accumulate even though they are wicked and have no regard for God. In the face of all that, it's no wonder, is it, that an Israelite thinks he's losing his footing. How can such things be? How can such things go on? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely? Really? Are you sure? Are those ever our questions or concerns? Our Israelite hasn't done very well in dealing with these disturbing circumstances. Look at verses 13 through 17. He's beginning to believe that it's just a waste of time to be pure in heart. It doesn't do any good to be a man or a woman of faith. Only losers live by the rules. Forget the rules and you can be a winner. Be a faithful Israelite and you get your teeth kicked out. Be a faithful Christian that received that letter from Hebrews and and you'll be persecuted. Forget God and make a million. Isn't life easier? Isn't it more fun when we just live for ourselves on our own without all this faith and obedience business? Such thoughts ever cross our minds? Our Israelite has tried to be pure. He's tried to be innocent. But he says, when I do that, I get punished by the wicked. I get punished as if I was a wicked person. So why not just go ahead and be wicked and at least enjoy the temporary rewards of wickedness? Actually, our Israelite doesn't go quite that far. He still believes that attitude is sin. He still believes these are traitorous words for one of God's chosen people. But he cries out, I tried to sort this out. I have tried to understand this. And as one paraphrase puts it so incredibly well, he says, but all I got was a headache. You ever pondered a problem until you just got a headache from it? Well, that's what's happened to him. It hurt to think about all of this anymore. He's almost ready to throw in the towel. Do what you want to do. It really doesn't matter. But look at verse 17. Something happens. Something happens. He went to church and something happened. Well, actually, he went to the temple and something happened to him. And when we stop and read verse 17, we, we want to know what happened. What took place in the temple? But, you know, the psalm doesn't tell us that part. Did God give him a revelation? Did God speak to him in a vision? Did a prophet or a priest come to him with a word from God? We don't know. But whatever happened, it made all the difference. Questions like, why did the wicked prosper? Why did the good suffer? Why are Christians poor and non-Christians rich? Why do people who live and work with the highest of morals and ethics struggle to get promotions and raises? struggle to get ahead. Those are just hard questions. And there are no easy answers. And God's people have often struggled to find answers. But the fact that it is hard to find those answers does not mean there are no answers. 
There are. There are answers that will satisfy our soul and draw us closer to God. And some of them we are learning here in Psalm 73. Well, our Israelite finds some of those answers in verse 18 through 20. Oh, we, we like quick answers, don't we? What do you mean I have to wait till tomorrow to get that report? I want to know now. We depend on the short-term view of things. We want answers that are easy. But our Israelite begins to realize he's not the one that's standing on shifting gravel. He's not the one that's on the slippery slope. He's not the one standing on the ice-covered step. It's not the righteous who stand there. It is the wicked that stand there. They are the ones who will suddenly and unexpectedly come to ruin. And they come to that ruin because God brings them down. In his time and in his own way, God always deals with the wicked. There is no escape. We may not be able to see it. We may not know the time or the circumstances. But God always deals with the wicked. And when he does, they disappear. The way our dreams disappear when we wake up. Again, no one escapes God's judgment. No one pursues evil and lives in evil without coming under God's wrath because he is holy and he is just and he is righteous. So it is short-sighted or better short-faithed to think that the way the world operates has more power than God or to think that evil has the final say. Our Israelite confesses in fact, that it is senseless and ignorant to think it, think that way. Look at verse 21 and 22. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In his grief over what he saw around him, there was a bitterness that began to fill his spirit. He says, I was thinking more like an animal. I'm thinking like a human being. I wasn't thinking like a, a person created in the image of God. I wasn't thinking like a person who has a relationship with God, who's a person of faith. And he says, I've been wrong. I've been wrong in what I've been thinking. I've let evil that is around me infect my heart. He hated evil so much that he nearly became evil himself. But what is very special about our Israelite is that in the end, he does no better. Look at the last verses beginning in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Do you notice how the psalm changes in these last verses? It becomes, instead of an explanation to us who read, it becomes a prayer. And it is a prayer, both praise and confession. Now at last. He has 2020 spiritual vision. The wicked may prosper, but they never escape God's judgment. 
God's wrath always finds them out. But what he has been forgetting and has finally remembered is not only is that true about the wicked, but it is also true that God has never failed him. God never left him. God has always been there for him. God has always held his hand. God's teaching has guided his way and directed his steps. God has always led him in one direction, and that one direction is to glory. God is in heaven, and nothing at all may be right with the world, but God is still in control. So don't let the apparent success and prosperity of the wicked convince you otherwise. And if God is in heaven, as long as God holds our Israelite in his hand, there is nothing on earth that his heart could desire. Flesh and heart fail. Our bodies will not last forever. But he's remembered that God is the strength of his heart. God is our portion. God himself is our inheritance. And God never, ever fails his own. The wicked, evil people, people who live without God, their success and wealth is passing and fading. It's shadow and des- their destination is wrath. God will destroy all who are unfaithful to him. But as for the faithful, the Israelite of Psalm 73 says, it is good to be near God. The sovereign Lord is our refuge. And that is indeed a message for us to tell. Yes, God is good to Israel. Yes, God is good to those who are pure in heart. And yes, the blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I think it would might this would come down to this practical encouragement. And that is our Israelite would encourage us to guard our hearts to watch our hearts. Don't give in to the temptation that comes our way to live and work like people who are in the world. Don't buy Satan's lie that faith and obedience is not relevant today. We, we may struggle. We, we may have lots of questions about how God's word is relevant to our lives. And even if we can't see it at this point, we just need to understand by faith that it is relevant. It is God speaking to us, and our lives will be better if we give heed to it. Whatever success, whatever the prosperity the wicked have and accumulate for themselves, it never endures. Where is John Gotti today? He's in federal prison, and he'll die there. And so will the other wicked in one way or another. They don't endure. But the child of God who remains faithful through whatever life brings, the Israelite of Psalm 73 endures forever. And isn't that what we're hoping for? Isn't that our hope that we will endure forever? That someday Jesus will come again and take us home. Take us home to see the Father face to face and to be with him forever. That is our hope. May God bless the preaching of his word tonight. Let's finish with a song of encouragement. Perhaps there's someone in need of prayer tonight.
If you do, please come while we stand and sing.